Welcome to The Secret to Successful Development Projects, a podcast series from Muckle LLP. In this series, we'll look at how to get set for success as we tackle the key things you need to get right on a development project in bite-sized chunks. You can find out more about what we'll be covering at muckle-llp.com slash development success. This time around, we're looking at how to set your project team up for development success. Hello, I am Lucilla Woff. I head up Muckle's construction, engineering and projects team. Um, Today, I'm joined by Chris Maddock and Lisa Kelly. Uh, Chris and Lisa are both partners in Muckle's employment team. And they provide technically excellent and pragmatic advice on all things employment. Um, If you would like to get to know them and their team better, uh, please do have a look at our website. Um, You can sign up to the fixed price annual employment retainer called MyShield that they offer, in which their team answers your day-to-day employment queries. Or you can attend their wonderful employment roadshows or sign up to their regular e-news Uh, which includes, for me, the highlight, the Christmas special, a festive and colourful sum-up of the year's employment highlights. Um, Today, Chris and Lisa are going to highlight the sort of things to think about when appointing individuals to the project team that you need to successfully deliver your development project. Um, I think from the range of projects that I've worked on over the years, um, once clients have established the skills and experience they need for their particular project, They recruit people to the project team um, internally, externally, or both. Um, And a key work stream of what we do in my construction team is draft and agree the terms of appointments of corporate professional consultants, whether the appointments are bespoke or if they're amended standard, standard industry terms such as RIBA, RICS, or ACE. And we're going to have a separate episode on those corporate terms later in the podcast series. Um, What this episode is looking at is um, is the the sort of things that clients need to think about when taking on individuals, uh, whether by way of employment or consultancy or secondment. Um, So Chris and Lisa, um, please can we just start with employment and consultancy. Um, What are the core considerations from the legal point of view So clients should look at, um, on the one hand, when employing people, and on the other hand, when appointing individual um, independent consultants. I think Lisa and I are going to approach this as a tag team, Lutefilla. So um, I'll probably start some sentences and finish them off and vice versa. So um, I guess for us, status is everything. So we're really interested from the beginning what the employment relationship will be with the people that you want to use in helping manage your project. So at both extremes, there really is the sort of self-employed consultant that we'll come back on, talk about a little bit in a moment. Um, But there's also the traditional employment model. So there are real benefits to an employment model in terms of control in particular. So if you employ somebody, you tell them what to do, you manage their outputs, you manage their performance, and you have that capability to ensure that if there are design outputs or anything that has intellectual property um, connotations, so that belongs to you because that's that's a, that that's part of the employment relationship. I guess traditionally in the field that we're talking about, there are a lot of people 
don't want an employed relationship. They're used to moving from project to project, and many of them are set up because historically there were tax benefits of doing so um, as, as self-employed consultants, quite often as one-man band or, or small consultancy companies. Um, and that is a completely different different approach in terms of the contracting and in terms of the obligations. Everything you need to put in place has to be a pure matter of contract. Um, and there are some tax considerations that you need to think about that we'll come on to in a second. But 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 the, the importance of a consultancy agreement, especially where there's a limited company interface, is around understanding the nature of the obligations, insurance, professional indemnity, other insurance obligations that you want to have in place and making sure you've got the right levels of control, the right levels of obligation to adhere to um, time limits and to adhere to the, the, the milestones of the projects that people are working on. So it's much more of a commercial negotiation, probably closer to the sort of things that, that you and your team lead on with, with the wider contractor negotiations. Um, but for us, that, that, that it tends to be at either extreme. We don't get the middle ground, which is causing a lot of uncertainty for employment law currently of worker status traditionally, because you're talking about professional engagements usually. Um, and and it, it is either an employment or a self-employed uh, arrangement. Is it worth just talking about IR35 and what that means potentially with a professional contractor, Lisa? Yeah, so I guess if you've got um, a, a contractor who operates via their own personal services company, then they could be caught by IR35 um, if it depends on the size of, of your client listener and how, how big they are and whether they meet the, the minimum thresholds under IR35. But but if they do, then it, it is worth making sure that, that that is a consideration at the outset. There is um, a HMRC CES tool which is available on the internet um, and that um, it helps um, with the status determination, but it's really important that you consider that at the outset. Um, and although it's a tax consideration rather than an employment law one, and um, that sort of sits outside of our area of expertise, um, nevertheless, it's obviously an important consideration um, and getting it right from the outset is really important because if um, one of these consultants transpires to be caught by IR35, then um, the, the end client has to deduct um, tax at source um, and if it doesn't then it's going to be in trouble with HMRC essentially so it's important that that is factored in at the at the outset um, so even if somebody is purportedly a consultant for employment status purposes they may not be for tax and it's worth just thinking about that right at the outset. Mm -hmm. That's a very helpful summary of the sort of key points on employment versus consultancy. Um, could you now just talk a bit about what clients need to think about where they wish to take on secondees, which I find is quite a common approach, particularly where projects are being procured through a kind of joint venture or a sort of public-private partnership project or private-private public-public partnership? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I guess there's two angles to it, really. One is the, um, again, the kind of commercial negotiation between um, the employer and the host. Um, so the, the current employer of the employee and the organisation that they're going to be seconded to. Um, and in our view, it's really important from a contractual perspective to have that secondment agreement in place because um, there's some quite common themes again, but that secondment agreement will deal with things like like apportionment of costs. So is the employer going to continue to pay the employee's salary, but will the host pay all of it or a proportion of it? Um, who's going to be liable if something goes wrong? So, um, and that might be um, from kind of a professional um, perspective in terms of if the employee does something that that, that is uh, negligent, or it could also be if something happens to the employee whilst they're seconded to the host. So, you know, if they were discriminated, for, for example, whilst mm-hmm. they were on secondment. So um, it would normally deal with the kind of apportionment of liability. Um, and then things like IP so who is going to own the intellectual property that the um, second D produces if that's a relevant consideration obviously it'll vary on a case-by-case basis depending on what the second D's role is in as part of the project but all of those types of things are things that need to be considered at the outset and would be typically addressed in a well-drafted secondment agreement so that's one sort of angle to it the other angle is a relationship between the um, the host and the employer and the employee so the employee will continue to be employed by their employer but obviously their terms of employment will be varied because typically they'll be working on a different project so that might mean that their place of work changes or it may mean that their duties are changed slightly their hours of work may may need to be varied all those types of considerations so you would need a variation letter um, varying the employee's existing terms and conditions of employment to cover those types of things but there are also things that the host is likely to want so they're likely to want the employee to have to adhere to its health and safety policies for example or any other policies that that they have so if they're going to be using um, its IT systems for example you would typically want them to comply with with their IT and communications policy those those types of things and equally, the employer is likely to want some protections as well um, and, and, and things like saying that the employee won't go and work for the host for a period of time um, following the secondment. And that is something that would also feature typically in the secondment agreement between the employer and the host as well. Because, you know, if you're doing this um, in good faith to try and get a project done, you don't want to lose your best people. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are the types of issues that would be addressed in the secondment agreement that then also there'd need to be a variation letter of the employee's um, current contract of employment. And typically it would be done by by agreement with the employee. I think the only other thing we we always think about as well is trying to actually build into that discussion about what happens at the end. So how does it unwind? What will happen to that person? And the most common question from a secondary, and perhaps it's less of a factor in construction projects where you go from project to project, is, well, where do I go back to? What happens at the end of this project? And actually just dealing with that proactively in the majority of secondment scenarios helps with that that inevitable process that comes 6, 12, 18, 24 months down the tracks, potentially. 
But I yeah. guess I think it's slightly less of an issue in your sector than it is in some of the secondments and international secondments we deal with for, for other organisations. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so you've got, so the client's got the project team, whether it's employment, mm -hmm. consultancy or secondment, but what, what in taking on these people, however this is done, what are the main risk areas for clients in relation to the people aspects of the project? And can anything be done to reduce or mitigate those risks? Yes, yeah, so I think Lisa's right in terms of the secondment arrangements. If, if we're looking at risk as being the person that uh, you, you place that individual with, um, so if our client is, is the person running running that contract and we have a secondee placed with us, well, the majority of, 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 of the things that you need to deal with can probably be dealt with by having the right to actually ask for replacement of that individual if the performance isn't at the levels it needs to be at or the outcomes aren't, aren't at the, the, the levels that are needed to be with. And the, there's obviously a relationship management piece there. Um, I, I guess if, if you're the employer of the second D, which is quite often the side of the fence that we sit on, um, is that you're, you're worried about the things that you can't control that happen on site. You're worried about sexual harassment, racial harassment, other things that commonly have happened, I'm afraid, in construction industry um, and, and the construction industry is working very hard to address and deal with. And you want to be able to establish as the employer of that person who seconded onto a project that, 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 that you can fulfill the statutory defence so that you've got assurances as to behaviours and how things will be dealt with and managed. Um, I think the other thing you're always patently aware of is health and safety risks. So the risk of somebody being um, subject to some form of accident whilst on site is a concern so identifying that risk making sure the insurances that you've got cover that and actually if there's back-to-back -back insurance arrangements needed from the people that you place people with those things are dealt with and i think increasingly as well reputational risk management is also an important thing so so having clarity as to what people might say on social media or on self-publicity sort of things like linkedin uh, about what they're working on, the confidentiality of it, what comments are appropriate or aren't appropriate to be made. That's increasingly become a sort of risk management thing that we, we end up working with clients on, establishing a position from the outside uh, outset in relation to. Um, and I guess the other thing that, uh, especially currently with labour supply issues, is, is actually the risk of continuity and maintaining resource across a long-term project you know the job market is such currently that people can find work pretty easily so if they're not happy at work or well, there isn't an incentive for them to remain that that can be a, a significant factor in terms of of us being able to deliver on a project for for, for, for somebody so um, we're increasingly asked to help with things like milestone budget uh, bonuses um, incentive payments uh, and end of project delivery bonuses and I think thinking about those incentives thinking about the terms that apply to them and what happens depending on the way in which the contracts come to an end is, in, is increasingly part of the work that Lisa and I do. Can I just ask on that point um, the risks you've just talked about are, are broadly applicable on whatever structure you use aren't they whether you're an employee a consultant or a, a secondee I mean there might be nuances but broadly similar risks regardless isn't it 
Yeah, I think I think that the difference is though where there's a secondment arrangement, those risks aren't all within one basket. So as an yeah. employer, you control all aspects of what that person does. You are on the hook for everything. Uh, but yeah. you also control everything. I think in a common situation, the difference is that you are placing somebody into into a work environment that you don't control all aspects of, and you need yeah. to to get that understanding of what what the risk profile is, how realistic a risk is, how how much you really need to worry about it, and what you can then practically do to to deal with it. Part of that is sometimes in terms of indemnification and in terms of um, of having contractual provisions which govern things part of it is met by insurance uh, and it really is just thinking about the project thinking about any particular circumstances that will apply and and, and factoring that into the the secondment sort of core terms commercial terms discussions uh, and then trying to reflect that in any draft that we get asked to help with Whereas I think, Lucilla, in terms of contractors, um, then you're not autom if they are genuinely a contractor, then you're not automatically on the hook for all of the things that we've just talked about. And they, if they are genuinely a contractor in business on their own account, then you would expect them to have their own insurances and those types of things. And as Chris said um, at the outset, with contractors. The, 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 the agreement, the contractual documentation that you have in place with them is 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 the crucial uh, way of safeguarding yourself, really. And then the other aspect um, in terms of contractors that you probably don't have to worry about with secondees is the tax, because obviously with secondees, you typically, typically the employer continues to pay the employee via PayYE, um, and then there's a, a recharge ar arrangement in place between the two the two companies. Whereas, um, as I said, in terms of IR35, um, etc., then obviously tax may be a consideration, um, and it's just worth making sure you get that right at the at, at the outset. So, so there, so you. you you are right broadly speaking a lot of the issues do cross over but there are some nuances yeah okay thank you and i think just one last question um once the development comes to an end it's been built out and the services are no longer required from the project team what are the um, potential issues that could arise with the members of the project team who are redundant in the broader sense of the word well um not needed anymore what what are the what are the potential issues there? Well, I guess it, again, it comes back to um, it depends what 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 category the employee or contractor or secondee falls into. Um, as Chris has mentioned, in terms of secondees, you would hope that that would have been envisaged at the outset. And um, typically, a secondment letter to the employee will say, you know, you'll normally return to your substantive post, but if that's not possible, then um, you'd be redeployed into a suitable post, or if not, they would be potentially redundant. Um, if an employee has got two years service or more, then they have um, qualifying service, and that means that they have the right not to be on fairly dismissed so um, as you sort of start to to sort of ramp down on a project it's worth kind of having an eye on this and um, start any kind of redundancy consultation process that you need um, also it depends on the number of, of employees that you have working on a project because if there's 20 or more um, at any one establishment then you could also trigger collective consultation obligations um, and 
and um, it's just again planning because that will impact on on the time scale needed to carry out any redundancies if if, if that's where it ends up um, with with contractors and you know if the contract just comes to an end and, and you would hope that the um, consultancy agreement will have either a provision in there under which the parties can give notice typically a month or it may be uh, for a fixed term and linked to the project so you would hope that it would just come up to an end at the end of the project again that will be a matter of contract um, and the only issues that are likely to arise there is if somebody believes that they're not genuinely a con consultant or a contractor and they challenge their employment status um, and then that's when it can all unravel which is why it's really important to make sure that um, this is looked at at the outset um, mm. It's, it's relatively rare in, in your type of sector though because if somebody is is a consultant normally they they know they know how the sector works and they'll often be kind of lining up their next their next project um, and and particularly at, at, at the moment where Chris has already talked about that actually it's an you know it's 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 sort of heavily weighted against employers if anything because it's such a buoyant uh, job market um, mm. so um, so it, it hopefully you know that the contractual provisions will be sound the relationship you'll have got that right at the outset and so with the consultants coming to a consultancy agreement coming to an end it should hopefully be relatively straightforward um, I guess I the only thing I'd add to that. that yeah I think the only thing I'd add to that is, is increasingly with data obligations in it, all aspects of our working lives I think thinking at the outset again as Lisa said about what will happen at the end so what will I need back from that independent contractor what do I want them to keep what might they need to keep for their records for their professional indemnity insurance in case there's any claim or or anything that, that comes out the woodwork and what do I feel I need to control what do I need back from them uh, what record keeping obligations will they have that, 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 that I want back? That can be an important factor when you're doing the engagement piece as well, because obviously um, people move from project to project, quite frequently move from country to country, and actually tracing that person when you need some input further down the lines as to why a decision was taken in a certain manner at a certain time can increasingly become difficult um, the, the, the more divorced you are from the from the project having come to an end and um, that for me and, and thinking about what level of cooperation there might be after the contract comes to an end and at whose cost it is um, that that quite often frequently I think is overlooked when you when you're in the you know the, the the exciting bit of getting the project off the ground and all pulling together to get that thing done not thinking about what happens if things don't work out or actually if things arise after the project is finished and what you then do about it can often be a consideration in, in either in terms of the secondment agreements we do or in terms of um, the independent consultant arrangements that we deal with. That's really brilliant thank you very much so being not being an employment lawyer what I've kind of taken away from this is that obviously it's important to have properly drafted employment contracts, consultancy agreements or secondment agreements to make sure that everyone's thought about the risks and responsibility and particularly what happens at the end. From an employment, if, from an employee status point of view, uh, there's some control, a better, more control there and there's ownership mm -hmm. of intellectual property. But on the other hand, coming with that is the employment law aspect 
so and you have to you know comply with that and then there's the whole unfair dismissal and redundancy issues that are linked to that where you don't get that with for instance a consultant an independent consultant or a secondee and for the um i think for the for the consultant point of view i think this is the main thing i took away from that was look don't get tripped up by ir35 mm -hmm. um the, the, the tax the tax side of that is not an employment law issue, but it, you know, it, it could have severe consequences to the client if they haven't made deductions, and then they have to account to the to HMRC for yeah. for that tax. And um, and always, which I do with all contracts actually, is always do think about what happens at the end or what happens if things go wrong. It's, it sounds yeah. a very negative way to look mm -hmm. at something, but actually, it's almost worth starting there and working working absolutely. backwards yeah, yeah absolutely yeah it's always when things go wrong that you start looking at the contract and at the wording and what's in place and then you think oh dear why didn't we think about this <laughs> or the contract doesn't say anything about this particular scenario so you are absolutely right I know it sounds quite negative but actually starting there and working backwards is often a really way a really good way of approaching it yeah and the other just things of headline things were remember insurance, uh, think about reputation, think about data, mm -hmm. um, yeah, confidentiality and records and all of that. And uh, they yeah. seem to be. Uh, do you think that's a good summary of the headlines? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. OK, well, thank you very, very much. It's been very helpful and lovely talking to you. Thanks, Lucilla. Thank Likewise. you. Thank you so much for having us. OK, pleasure. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to The Secret to Successful Development Projects, a podcast series from Muckle LLP. You can find out more at muckle-llp.com slash development success.